Aloha, everybody. This is Josh Porter with the Solar Coaster here in Maui. Get Mr. Verricart out there in Osaka. How are you doing today, uh, Jason? Hey, high energy. It's the Solar Coaster. Breaking <laughs> <laughs> out, breaking out, breaking out. Hey, this Good is show, show 177, my friend. That, and we get a chance here to, we're, we're rolling through all of our content from the summer. And we get a chance to to take a solid look at not only PV and all of its manufacturing methods with Andre Richter, former former uh, Meyer Berger, um, senior staff member, but also take a look at what he's doing next in his new company, Blue Green Power. Really cool tech around agrovoltaics, and you know he's just always talked about domestic manufacturing of PV, all kinds of great stuff. You know, for all the Andre Richter shows we've done, I think this one really kind of puts it right up there in front and center with what he has to offer, how much this guy really knows. Actually, yeah, super, super intelligent guy. Um, and, it, and it's struck me as we run through the interview, like well, these are all the things that we've been talking about for the years, but it was all theoretical stuff. You know, there's this paper that came out talking about moisture retention in, in fields and such. And he's doing it now. He is doing it. He is <laughs> doing is it. Awesome. Yeah, it's it's it's. Uh, it, I came away from that interview feeling really kind of energized and stoked. Uh, he he brought up something that you know, and we'll get into the interview obviously. But that that idea that PV could be moving in all of these dual use capacities and branching out, right? Yep. And that there's new ways to manufacture given that, and new expectations, and, and all that stuff. It was like, whoa, there's a whole new world, and Andres are on top of it. Very cool guys. So we'll get a chance to to dive into that shortly. This is a uh, Show 177, like I just said a moment ago, and we got boatloads of great news and events to jump into. So, Jason, do you, I'm going to let you just kind of organize the ones you want to start with. I've read these all, so I should have quite a bit to say. So you go for it. <laughs> sure. Well, there's, there's good news. Uh, wind and solar generated a record 10% of the world's power in 2021. Um, this is a big deal considering where we were, 2020, 2021, right? Um, there's, there's a lot of movement. And, and I, I think it's, it is fantastic, but I think the whole article is a little bit disingenuous <laughs> as, as, a, as a thing. Um, it is. Well, the network, the, the network that, itself, this organization is called Good News Network, right? Yeah. So I, right. is their theme to just talk about things that are positive? Is that what their whole deal is? I, this is definitely not, you know, uh, a, a PV magazine or, you know, MIT.edu. This is a totally different news source here. Um, so I, I, and it, a lot of it seemed kind of accurate until they got to the end and they were saying some really weird stuff. So uh, I don't yeah. know. Which well, I mean, not, not all these facts. They base it off five, the five um, leading companies, uh, sorry, companies, countries, mm -hmm. um, that are, that are here in US, China, Japan, Germany, and the UK. Yes, all of these countries have been making um, significant investments in renewable energies, wind and solar. Uh, wind, it's interesting that they count wind and solar and wind and solar separately. <laughs> it's like three lines. One is wind and solar, one is wind and one is solar. Um, and you don't see a lot in, in like the bio or nuclear, um, et cetera. Hydro actually went down according to their graph, which I don't think hydro is necessarily power. accurate. Like that's a significant downturn for hydroelectric. Um, but it's, it's really, really difficult to say that just because these investments have been made doesn't mean that we're generating that much of the electricity 
from that. And the issue that I've always been trying to raise is that our energy consumption, I mean, as we transfer to from for vehicles, for example, there's huge energy consumer. Um, as, we, as we make this transition to the electrification of things, um, our energy, electrical energy consumption is going way up. So we and pace? so the deployment of these renewables is just barely keeping pace. It's not enough to offset what needs to happen. You know, what I, what, I, what I did like about this was that they started to look at all the different countries around the world and the progress they were making. And I found sure. that encouraging. It is good yeah. news after all. Uh, and, you know, they talked about uh, the, the, the world itself. It's the title right there is the record uh, wind and solar generator record 10% of the world's power in 2021. So, I mean, and then, of course, they move through all the different other types of renewable sources. They talk about, as you said, nuclear and bio and hydro. Um, and, you know, when you look at it in aggregate it's like oh there was a lot we actually did quite a bit the thing i didn't really get with this is they kind of at the very end it was pretty uh unacademic if i can put it that way they say if these trends can be replicated next year and sustained the power sector would be on track to achieve the ultimate goal of global warming reduction as calculated by the ipcc and i'm like no <laughs> what? <Yeah. laughs> why did you get that a conclusion they said there's like almost like gave it to an intern and said write some fluffy conclusion at the end <laughs> that yeah. was it yeah. just, oh we're just okay this, then just Fine. wrap this up in a really nice way <laughs> <laughs> but assuming that these uh and i guess this is a i don't know if it's a safe assumption given that conclusion so bizarre but uh, assuming that this information is accurate and it's pulled from some reputable source you know uh they talked about which countries have all the fastest over the last couple of years from 19 through 21 netherlands australia vietnam have switched 8% of their total electricity demand to wind and solar. Those mm -hmm. sources basically directly replace fossil fuels. So these are encouraging, you know, metrics, right? They're encouraging yeah. numbers. You're seeing movement out there. There was also um, talked about a, a, a series of countries. Oh, achieving. Um, so 50 countries had more than one tenth of their electricity coming from wind and solar in 21, up from 43 nations in 2020 and 36 in 2019. That's kind of neat. It's like, whoa, we're, we're I mean, and we know that's happening. Right. We see the yeah, RFPs, we see the deployments, we see the, the technology. I mean, it's happening, but I haven't quite seen it racked up in a simple sentence like that before. Right. Yeah. And that, but that's, again, that's the thing. I think it's, it's very disingenuous to say everything's okay. Um, <laughs> because <laughs> yeah, we're not <laughs> anything, anything like, okay yet. Um, well. But I mean, I, I, I do think, I mean, that's, that's what we do as well. Like we're very, we try to be very up. Right. There's a lot sure. of things that need to get done, but we want to be cheerleading for the right team. You know, we want to be, be moving in the right direction. And as long as we're not at a standstill, um, which is, which of course, my biggest concern is that we're at a standstill. Well, <laughs> and, a standstill we'll, relative to consumption growth. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, um, I, I thought it was fun. You know, it's, it's, it's good to see people at least taking an interest, you know, the people that go out there right. looking for good news. Climate news is generally not good. You no know, energy news, generally not good. So trying to. You know, if, if I may, when I looked at this, at this article, Jay, I thought to myself, um, wow, everyone's thinking about renewables right now because this is outside of the trades, right? Outside sure. of the of academia, outside of the, it's, this is like a, you know, like good news group, right? And yeah. uh, I thought back like in 2008, nine, when I got involved with the renewable energy industry 
And I thought back then, I remember telling people, I'm going to get involved with solar panels and, and all this. And, and I remember a couple of my friends were like, oh, that's cool. A couple of my friends were like, why would you want to do that? <laughs> I was like, yeah. I'm pretty sure it's it's going to be really big. Like, I'm pretty sure it's, I, kind of, I can kind of see, can't you see that? And then like, no. and we're here apparently. So <laughs> yeah, now it's, it's regular coffee table conversation. Right? It's everybody. Yeah. And everyone would be like, well, that's yeah. a good idea. Right. So, all right. <laughs> what's, what's your, what's your, what's your next choice of uh, next flavor? Jay? Um, I want, I want to talk about the microgrid that you can fit in a golf bag. Oh boy. Fabric solar panels, fabric, solar panels. Now, this is, this is unique because Let it specifically says that these are still crystalline cells. Yeah. Uh, once again, another article where it didn't make sense to me. How? Uh, yeah. You, you brought a lot of interesting things. To the yeah. Table this week. So, but here, but, but, yeah, go ahead. I'm sorry. As far as I know, crystal, the, the crystalline cells are pretty inflexible. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. And, and tense. I mean, the, the problem is even when, when they are, I mean, they, they can, they can flex to a certain degree. If you can slice thin enough, you can get some more flex in there, but they're literally saying that they're putting them on like canvas tents and you can roll it up. And all I see is just all the crystal fracturing, even if, yeah. even if it's extremely thin, like laser but they don't talk in here about the so so look this article here is in microgridknowledge.com right yep. and yep. the title is um, a microgrid that can fit in your golf bag isn't that clever right and they talk about weights and they talk about sizes right uh, yep. what is it uh, imagine fitting 1.3 kilowatts in a golf bag so like you can carry it um, but they don't really get into what kind of technical um, let's say innovation that they've pioneered. Are they just taking existing PV? And it, it, I see one of the images it, it here. It sounds like that right sense. at the end. It says it's nothing too crazy. We're just putting right. solar panels on tents. Um, but that is crazy. Well, those solar panels, they need to be encased in something. And it's probably a polymer sure. or some type of a plastic or something, right? Because it yep. couldn't be glass or wouldn't have the weight advantage they describe. But they're saying you can roll it up. I think when, I think and that's probably the point. Yeah, I don't think it's rolling. I think it's like folding. Sure. Because how yeah. the heck else could you do this? Yeah. And I've and, seen and this in these, a couple of other technologies. None of these pictures are very clear. I mean, this actually, this is this little um, outdoor seating area for the yeah. restaurant is absolutely gorgeous. I mean, that's like wedding quality. It's really nice, really nice Which, layout. Which oh oh oh, right there, yeah, yeah. But um, they say they're they're actually rolling it out for military. I mean, that was that was the main uh, mm -hmm. goal is that you can set. Oh, I lost your audio. Still there? Audio gone. I'm going to uh, pause for a sec. Pausing. Recording on. There you go. A little bit of a technical uh, snafu, uh, as my aunt would used to <laughs> Power say. Power issues. <laughs> isn't, that, isn't that always the way? Power. So, uh, um, uh, yeah, we were just finishing up on the fabric, Jay. Yeah, I mean, it was, it's 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 a really neat thing to be able to roll out and just have power. I mean, imagine going if this was obviously it's for military right now, but I mean, imagine just be able to go to a campsite and roll out and not have to like get a get a location with a um, with an outlet. You know, you just bring your own yeah. tent, your own power. But like I said, I, it's, I mean, these cells are fragile, so I can't imagine that you'd be yeah. able to pack it and people are not people are not nice with their tent <laughs> equipment <laughs> camping equipment right so it, it may not last all that long but i'd like i'd like to see it it's cool you know i remember um 
I don't know if you remember, probably a while back, we had um, some partners and they brought over, they were testing different types of technologies, pretty cool guys, They're actually Hawaii-based guys. And they were testing, you know, lithium iron phosphate and different capabilities. They were testing PV air conditioning systems. They were testing uh, PV and portable PV and then looking to sell it to the military. And they gave me one. Remember that blue one I had? It was sun power cells integrated into kind of a, uh, like a, and it had like a dimpled kind of plastic on top and it was foldable. Right. Um, and it wasn't super light. It was, it was fairly light. I mean, it wasn't, but it wasn't like, you know, it basically weighed what I would expect PV to weigh. It was just standard sun power cells with copper right. backing. Right. Yeah. Um, but so this particular area, I, I, I didn't get the impression that there was any major revolution or major innovation step in this. Uh, that was my impression. But definitely, it's very exciting, the idea of being able to have solar awnings, for example. And there is a Kickstarter campaign right now. I don't know if I shared this with you. But the way they're doing it is it's bifacial, uh, kind of like, um, what's his name? Uh, Tibor snow fences, like a long row of a single row of, of cells encased in plastic like that sure. and they're doing that for rv on it right so there's there's a guy that's put this together like a one or two kw system a couple of different sizes but once again it's folding it's not um coiling or, or rolling kind of stuff and so wrapping uh, or just stuffing it into the bag yeah yeah it doesn't um, have that kind exactly, of exactly but I, that's that's enough juice to keep your little led christmas light things on in the evening well past sundown i mean that's, over the rv everybody loves their, full their feature. LEDs. <laughs> i think that's great instead of having to run down your battery or run the generator all night god <laughs> oh god yeah the generator we've got a history with the generator so <laughs> and, and, and along that the next start of the digital journal reporting microgrids will be um a, a giant 60 billion dollar market by 2030 that's right obviously right prediction of of future <laughs> future result whatever it's called um we don't we can't predict the future but it sure seems like the way the world is, right? And this is this is going through this article. This is all that was going through my head. So the way the world is, um, we have all these these extreme weather events. We have uncertain fuel prices. We have, this, I, I can't say that everybody's becoming a prepper, but it's certainly much more front of mind for people. And so they want to ensure that they've got their energy security and microgrid technologies are how you're going to provide that it's as, it's as simple as that yeah there's um for me it's it, it there's there's a financial incentive in this pretty strong based on climate change and mm -hmm. the existing model for central central generation of electricity and distributed across i'll use doug's quote here uh copper wire hung on dead trees nice. <laughs> it's like that model that's so, that's so <laughs> that yep. model really ain't gonna work too much longer uh, certainly isn't going to provide the resiliency we need to deal with when we have these massive storm events. I mean, look at um, look at New Orleans when we were supposed to be there for SPI 2020, right? Yeah. Place just got knocked out like one two punch, and it was done. They were saying, "How long is it going to take till we get electricity back to this city of multi million people city?" Right. And yeah. so, you know, when when I think about microgrids, it's almost like the same type of financial path that PV went on, right? When you were to come to a place like Hawaii. You have super high cost electricity, PV plummets in price, installation costs come down. 
well, it just makes sense to do this. I, this is going to save me money. It's going to cost less. It works, right? Microgrids are going to go through something like that. And then when you when you think about the term microgrid, right? People may not be fully acquainted with that. I think people use that term in kind of a floaty way, you know, nanogrids, mm. microgrids, grids. But at the end of the day, you're replicating the characteristics of a grid in kind of one location. It could be a home. It could be a, uh, a business. It could be a municipality. It could be a little suburban development. But then you have basically the ability to generate energy, the ability to store energy with like some type of storage, typically it's electrochemical. And then you have the ability to distribute and, you know, and, and maybe manage loads and, and balance the grid right inside of that space. Yeah. yeah that's the definition of exactly what I was, what I was going to make. And that's exactly right. You can, you can make your own energy, you keep it, you store it, and then you use it. Right. That's, that's the definition of a microgrid in your own little, little world. And it doesn't have to be a single home. It can be subdivisions like we, we talked about that a number of times if, if you could sub like kind of support your neighbors in a, in a particular subdivision um, because that's that's the one major risk like if you have a microgrid kind of grid tied but almost off-grid house you know you're in self-consumption mode um, if you have a an equipment failure and the grid is not available for whatever reason you are down right yeah that's but a with that like a subdivision situation, you have this massive redundancy where you have tens, maybe hundreds of units, all kind of supporting each other, propping each other up. And it doesn't even need to be an equipment failure. It could just be, well, we had a big Christmas party and we're running the ovens 24-7. Yep. <laughs> so we used all our juice. But the people that came over to the party didn't because they were over at our house. So, uh, right. you know, <laughs> yeah, right, all these right. things. But then they just all kind of support each other. I love the case um, the case, the case studies, the examples of what life, how life yeah, would actually just random, yeah. yeah, just ran just random thoughts. But I mean, that that's that's really, that's that super massive redundancy. As an IT guy, I mean, yeah. I, I love the concept. So to, to add to that a little bit, I mean, there and there are different, uh, approaches to that type of, uh, of resilience, right? You have uh, for microgrids, you have the Holo Ho and the Ted Packs of the world doing the uh, approaching the white space of rental housing, workforce housing, and they've actually got a DC back, DC, DC grid. Right, which is what Brian Patterson of Emerge Alliance talks about. They're actually yeah. implementing that at the grid edge right now. That's providing, and then all of a sudden you have the ability. Although they're not doing this now, uh, Ted Packaholo Ho. There are other groups that are doing VPP related stuff, like the uh, Salt Lake City, um, the Soleil Lofts, which is Sonin, right? The Sonin uh, e service, I think, is the right. Sonin group. So you yeah. have guys. Those groups are doing similar types of things. They have a community with multi hundreds uh, apartments, actually the rental housing in this case too, and they have a, a bunch of sewn in what are they called again the eco links and they're not only providing that level of redundancy and resilience but they um they they're able to take all of that power and then they're able to sell grid services back to the grid so you have a, a microgrid kind of service providing to rocky mountain power maybe is that who it was i forget who it was i think that was mm-hmm. the utility out there so you have different approaches then you have the theoretical approach to microgrids and you know where i'm going with this mr ragu balor when he talks about, and a lot of that right there was probably more, well, in the case of Ted, it was DC coupled stuff with Ted Peck in the case of, um, and Holo Ho, in the case of Sonin, they're AC coupled systems, right? 
And in the case of, uh, of, of, of Ragu Balor and Enphase and Ensemble and the IQ8s and the promise of a, a super distributed module level distributed, you know, microinverter level distributed uh, uh, microgrid, he's actually, you know, compl everything's completely decentralized. You don't even need storage. You can actually produce your energy with the IQ8s. And then he's creating a kind of like ecosystem of where the appliances themselves are communicating and sharing and selling and buying energy. And, you know, that's the level of, 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 of it's very future uh, leaning, right? All of that, I think, lends itself to another category we'll get into in a little bit, which is the idea of smart cities. How do we create yeah. cities around these concepts? Yeah. And this is, this is uh, right on that kind of conversation is that the, the, the Singapore uh, Institute of Technology um, just got another big boost in their fundings as uh, reported in the Straits Times. But um, they're planning on rolling out a giant my like a campus ride wide microgrid um so cool. thousands of rooms at 12,000 something yeah there's 12 yeah 12,200 four room hdb flats are part wow. of this massive complex uh they're using both pv and thermal to capture energy across the uh across the campus and and it's it's thermal. obviously in its planning stages they don't plan on having it uh, up and running <laughs> for, for any number of years, but they're, they're going through funding searches right now. And they just got an additional, an additional $8 million um, from uh, SP group. This is crazy. So the, when now you're looking at smart cities, right? And you I don't just know if I would even call it. Yeah. I don't even know if call this a micro grid because that's a lot. I mean, where do, where do we draw the line as where as are micro? the lines? Where are the lines? I, and I don't even know <laughs> well, the there answer are, there to that, but any. I there tend to any. think about that. They talk about this as a place, a test bed for novel innovations in renewable energies. I like that term, sure. that phrase they used. And, you know, when you think about smart cities, I tend to think about integration of these novel technologies to improve life in, in totality. Right, improve the quality right. of life, I should say, yeah. and so in, in, in that could go from the electrification of transpo, and you know, uh, eVTOLs, uh, electric, you know, vehicles, uh, as and, and electrification of, of which am I trying to say? Aviation, air mobility. Mm -hmm. That's the term, air mobility. Uh, uh, you know, uh, end of last mile transpo, like the scooters and stuff like that. Then into like electric generation, transmission, storage smart iot you know internet of things uh the there's so much in that smart it's such a it's really i mean i get jazzed about that idea i really feel like that is an area where it's going to be so exciting because each of those things jay that one plus one equals three of this industry that we happen to be so fortunate to be a part of that's going to happen like crazy in those spaces and then you just brought up thermal right we don't think of thermal i think right out of the gate with microgrid but it clearly is a fundamental component it's not only it's like a, yeah, it's it's like one of the happen. pillars what's yeah. that it's going to have to be because and people are just going to have to start thinking about that i think for so long it has been the conversation around the coffee table you know someone comes in tries to sell you solar <laughs> on your house um and it's it's all about electricity but we need to kind of broaden our horizons yeah. a bit and and talk about energy in its totality heat energy is is still energy and it's energy it all the time. and it can be why, why convert why convert your electrical energy to heat energy when you can capture heat energy and just make energy via heat and then <laughs> you know and then heat things with it <laughs> rather than yeah, yeah. just find the losses in there very cool we're going to see a lot more uh smart city related stuff and you know what we got to follow up on is that sony one out uh over in fuji mount fuji area that we saw at ces last year so they're developing a smart city at, at sony mount or fuji. toyota 
there was a Toyota. Was it Toyota? It, it, maybe it was Toyota. My bad. So, uh, but look, I want to look get get closer to that stuff because you know if anyone's going to do it and you're going to do it well and going to do it early, it's going to be the Japanese. <laughs> so, yep. Yep. and you happen well, to be in that space. Very good at living in in close quarters. Let me tell you. <laughs> sure. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. They're okay with that. <laughs> yep. Where does that take us next, Jay? Um. What do you What do you think? You want to talk about steel because we have issues. Um, yeah, I think we steel, have to. Steel is something we use every day, and I think a lot of us really just aren't like like cognizant of the the carbon footprint of of steel. And one of the one of the one of the notes in this, this is a um, a Yahoo News article, but uh, one of the and I researched this to make sure that it was actually accurate. Is that a a ton of steel actually puts out just to manufacture a ton of steel outputs four tons of carbon into the atmosphere right so for every ton of steel you see anywhere there are more four more tons that were just pumped out just in the manufacturing of the steel that doesn't take into account like after working it into whatever you whatever the final product is it's just like the metal yeah what's neat about this is i think that steel is kind of of course gates foundation took a, a focus on this and um and now we're starting to be able to think about products that we manufacture in terms of their carbon intensity, right? Mm-hmm. And steel's at the top of that list, which is why we're talking about it, right? Concrete. And and we need it. What's that? Concrete. Concrete Concrete's is at the top of that list, one. right? <laughs> and so, but the idea of um, carbon intensity for, of, a, of a given manufacturing product, I think is very exciting because it hits right into the notion of dealing with externalities, right? The externalities that our current business, uh, current world and, you know, business world, and it, it operates under. It's basically, and it's just not good math. Externalities are not good math. You got to be careful about the math we do with the externalities because you get really, you're really sketchy if we're not careful about it. Just power involved in this. Power meaning authority and people and wanting to have power. You know what I mean? We talk about, uh, so we look, moving into the world of carbon, carbon credits, for example. So, yep. but, but the bottom line is that this technology steel here, this really uh, is just super carbon intensive and makes a big impact. So we have new technologies out in, I think this one's Sweden. Is this Sweden or Finland? This is this, so this is in Sweden and, and I had to read it twice because honestly, I thought it was Saab. Um, it's SSAB mining company. <laughs> I have a history with Saab in my Oh, SSAB as opposed yeah. to SAAB. I, I, I did a double take on that one. It's a little, <laughs> it's too bad. Um, but. <laughs> but um sorry car companies, what did car companies say? including sorry. volkswagen not saab um have already have already partnered up to buy this uh low uh co2 steel and it is looks like it's going to be um hydrogen produced so hmm. it, it's not actually it's interesting they're not just like burning hydrogen to heat it up and burn off all the the, the ash and slag and whatever else um it's they're running the hydrogen under high pressure through it through the three ore um to create a, a sponge iron so it's actually going through um and the hydrogen gas um reacts with the rest of the uh the materials hey, you lost me on that one pulls away the other other bits that they as far as I part of the, the hydrogen is part of the chemical process so of making really, steel. I don't really understand what the process they're talking about, but um, it's it's just really really 
really, really interesting because the, the hydrogen pushing through grabs the oxygen off like what is basically rusted metal that's been sitting in the ground for hundreds of years. And so you're left with the actual iron. Okay. The, uh, the, um, the actual mineral. Um, and that's, and that's, it's a totally different way <laughs> from, from what I've ever understood to be wow. able to, to create iron and then into, and then into steel. Um, I don't know again, later on, um, how much they have to still burn in heat and, and do other things and what other kinds of emissions that comes, but it says, um, it's going to be, uh, cut, uh, cut overall CO2 emissions by, uh, by 55%, which is, which is substantial. Yeah. And so and a couple of things here. So this plant, the Lulia pilot plant, it's a yep. research facility and yep. they're talking about producing just a couple hundred tons, right? Um, it's so far, it's just produced a couple hundred tons. Uh, yep. There's plans to, go, to construct a larger demo a demonstration plant and commercial deliveries by 2026, they say. Um, and they also, you know, they, these sometimes these articles give us little insights into what's happening around the world. They talk about the geographic diversity of steel production. I didn't really know this. Um, I had a sense because of some of the conversations about recycling materials and shipping out recycled stuff around the world. But you see over 70% of global steel production takes place in Asia and that they don't have um, the same quantities of scrap steel as countries that have been industrialized for a longer time. That's another reason why average emissions per ton of steel are higher in the global south. Hmm. Yeah, yeah, it makes, it makes a lot of sense when you think about it that way. Um, one of the things this article makes very clear and is absolutely true is that steel is eminently recyclable. I mean, don't don't throw right. it out. You, you have it have yeah. it recycled properly because um, it, it has tremendous value. And every ton of that you can reclaim is another ton that they don't have to blow off four tons of CO two to manufacture a new one. Absolutely, absolutely. You know, and it's. Uh, I wonder if our demand for steel is going to increase as well. Like, oh, you know, what those some, what somewhere in here, like. I think it actually did say that. <laughs> right. It's it's not go it's not going down. It's going up, just like everything else. I mean, as we as the world becomes more industrialized, right? I mean, that's 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 the issue. So we live lucky to live in a first world country, but as these other countries come up. Um, that's and that's been a lot of the conversation like geopolitically um america was founded on fossil fuels and why can't we do what you did because that's the route to becoming a a first world country having better standard of living for everybody in your in your country i keep saying country <laughs> but i mean it's not an unreasonable argument at all and no it's know, not unreasonable and that's and that's the thing we tried to push in like in the nuclear direction but then we don't want to have them to have nuclear power because that leads to weapons and there's there's obviously other set nuclear technologies now that are not as easily weaponizable the thorium reactors and such but um but it, it's it's a really difficult conversation to have because we're saying no you can't do this anymore but you did there, okay, so we've got a transition and we got a transition underway and we have many developing nations, many developing environments that are going to be relying more heavily on fossil fuels. And that's yep. just going to be part of the game, part of the transition, right? Yep. Uh, and on the one hand, and I think this is really interesting, the faster these countries and these communities and these societies can industrialize, it, the the faster we'll be able to have a global consciousness around the idea of um, 
green energy, right? But getting there, it, 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 it's like, what's that going to look like? And, and the thing that occurs to me in addition to that is that there's the opportunity for some environments. And I'm not really sure what kind of, how, what the, how this breaks down, but when it comes down to, can you produce longer lasting, better quality cars and energy systems and the, the in, that are green than fossil fuel uh, related technologies, when it becomes cheaper to do that, and that's what's really going to make the difference, right? So in the, it, currently, it's cheaper to get uh, a regular internal combustion engine car. You know, if you're in India, you can get a cheap car or like a, a moped or something like that. But at one point, it'll probably be cheaper to, you know, with the right technologies to, to just get a, a battery-powered one and power it with solar, right? Or power it with renewables. Yep. So yep. when that happens, then it's like, then you start to get that real, real ramp up. And, and But it's a transition. We can't, you know, hate on on different communities because, uh, you know, they're, they're not getting solar power. I mean, even in the United States, think about it. I was in the solar industry for a decade. I didn't have solar in my house until last year. <laughs> right? Why? It's expensive. Carpenter's house. Yeah. <laughs> it was expensive. I needed, <laughs> first I needed to buy a house. Then I needed to pay for the solar. <laughs> well, that was, that, that was always your issue is that you didn't, you didn't own the place. And why would you sure, buy, sure. pay to put it on somebody else's? I mean, you're just improving the property. I mean, it, it, it should be done. But, but it's not the, even uncommon in the renewable energy industry in the United States, domestically in the richest country in the world. A lot of my peers are younger, younger people, and a lot of them don't have houses, right? They just haven't bought a house yeah, yet, yeah. right? So now they're like, well, I, I'm all about this. I'm behind it. I'm going to get an EV. I can do that. <laughs> but yeah. I, can't get a, I can't get a TV yet. So it's like, you know, it has been a kind of bit of a thing for the rich for the in the beginning arc of all this and it's it's changing in, in our society now it's becoming everybody's uh tool we have financing behind it we can do that across the united states now and and europe and other areas they have even more innovative plans uh, but we'll see it kind of i think i think the bottom line with this is that as a transition and then ultimately once the numbers are there and the the ROIs are there in their individual geographic locations. It'll take off the green energy revolution. Yeah. Take off, that and, I, and I do think I do think that's going to be a, a real critical piece. Is that as as we have already adopted, it, driving driven the prices down, the economics are going to work such that they, even developing nations, won't be reliant on fossil fuels for as long as we ever were. Right, because right. it's just it's not going to pencil. <laughs> Right. They'll move, right. They'll move faster just out of necessity, you know, and right now look at, look at China as an example. China was one of the largest, yeah. right? Something like 11.2% solar and wind. It was one of the highest globally. Yep. Uh, all right. So do you want to talk a little bit about PV that kind of lends itself to the Andre Richter conversation? Uh, yeah. I want to talk about um, how Thailand plans to pay for their farmlands solar. Oh yeah. Because that's unique. <laughs> Thailand, Southeast Asia, by the way, I love Thailand. I uh, have yep. had some great adventures in Thailand over the years. And uh, and I, I, I think it's exciting. We got a friend, Anthony's out there in Thailand right now living right yep. for the last year. And I know that there's been a lot of um, new trade shows emerging in Southeast Asia. A lot of it seems to be centered in Vietnam. We almost went a couple of times. They sent us some free hotel vouchers. Remember that? Yep. <laughs> Come on yep. out and cover the Vietnamese Solar Expo in Da Nang. Um, but you know, when we look at Thailand, this is a, a you know an exciting country. There's a lot of cool things there. A lot. It's a, there's. I think it's ripe for innovation. So what are they up to with agriculture in okay, Thailand so right now the, with solar? The the government plans on um, helping subsidize solar panels for farmers. The is that the ministry there, uh, Ministry of Energy and Farming and whatever else it is, Ministry of Agriculture 
and cooperative mm-hmm. of Thailand. Um, basically, wants to reduce electric bills for farmers, which makes perfect sense. Uh, they're, I think their targets are a little conservative, 20, by 20 to 30% over the next 15 to 20 years. I mean, it sounds like a very reasonable conversation, uh, especially when energy is, is going up. Um, mm-hmm. And so they want to provide or at least subsidize some solar rollout for uh, farm across Thailand. Uh, how they're going to pay for this is really, really interesting. They are issuing a, or they plan to issue um, 697 billion baht worth of non-fungible tokens. Yes, those NFTs that everybody's been talking about in, in the crypto world and no one is quite sure what they are. Um, it, it, it really, I mean, an, an, an NFT is a, an asset that as, as far as I can tell has no real value, like tangible value. It is only the value that you as, as the owner assigned or, or the, the market assigns to it. Right. So if it's something, I mean, it's, it's, that's in essence, what capitalism is, the, the market will dictate what your pricing is, but there doesn't seem to be any like really tangible benefit for buying these nfts except for saying hey i own an nft so what, <laughs> so what I, I don't understand what the benefit is of buying these nfts from the government and they're not looking for a small amount of money and they're looking for a significant amount of money um i mean it, it would be great if you if you have it and you can like claim it on your taxes or something if you have that tax appetite uh to be able to say that i donated to Help oh, as a donation, farm, you mean. help roll out solar farms. I don't know what the. I'm not a. I'm not a tax attorney. I don't know anything about claiming so, donations to foreign nations. <laughs> I don't think you're going to so do, go very far sound, with that. Doesn't so, sound like something. Like, so what? What I what, what I found interesting and confusing about this is they use the term NFT, right? And yep. then they talk about cryptocurrency, yep. and well, you know, and we know that within energy, um, within the energy world, cryptocurrencies are exciting, and well. I would say to go another to another fundamental term within that world is blockchain, right? Yep. And the immutable ledger or whatever, right? So the yeah. idea that, you know, um, the, the reason that's, I think, interesting and valuable from a very concrete utilitarian perspective is the idea of exchanging um, energy and, and value maybe across a, you know, house to house or microgrid to utility or back and forth in whatever direction you need to, but that being enabled through the blockchain. And I think that is definitely an area that's going to get very exciting, right? And so that's why this is a little confusing. You're talking about NFTs, they're talking about cryptocurrencies. And then when I think about energy and related to this stuff, I think about blockchain. (laughs) So so, so talking about crypto, the... And the difference between NFTs and cryptocurrency, where I think they're confused, they're confusing the terms here. They plan on selling NFTs. And as far as I understand it, the only difference between NFTs and a cryptocurrency is that like you get an NFT, you can't get like fractionate it. Like if you get a Bitcoin, you have one Bitcoin and we know how much that's worth, but you can pay 0.0074 Bitcoin and buy some coffee at Starbucks, I see. you know, you can do that. But with an NFT, you can't like give somebody half of like, if it's for a piece of digital art or whatever it is, you can't give somebody half your piece of digital art. It is, it comes in its entirety. It's one thing. And Until somebody so, comes out and buys a basket but, of NFTs. But the, but the <laughs> sales process, the tracking of the asset is all done through blockchain, exactly like a regular cryptocurrency. I see. So yeah. that 
money that they're, they're talking about raising money from cryptocurrency, they're actually talking about raising it from the end, from the sale of the NFTs that are, like I said, I don't, I don't know what their intrinsic so, value is. I mean, is. well, it, it, this is a fundraising effort. This is a nation, yeah. nation level fundraising effort to um, encourage investment effectively in agro, some form of agrivoltaic effort, right? Some form of agrivoltaic. Yeah. And so I can see that there's inherent value in, in, in food production and farming in Thailand. And uh, people may want to be able to invest and participate in that. Maybe there's difficulties to invest in that space presently. And this is a way to move around that to make it uh, easier for more people to participate in. Who knows? But what I like about this is the idea of cryptocurrency being involved in the, let's say, the popularization of the deployment of massive amounts of renewables. That area to me is kind of fascinating. I do think there's some opportunity there. I don't know what it is, but uh, I'm glad that the, uh, the, the, the Thai public minister, what's his name? Uh, Prafat Fothasuthon. <laughs> Yeah, I'll let Take you a shot that. at it. Uh, he's the deputy <laughs> agricultural minister here. That they're, you know, basically they're saying, hey, we've got a problem. We have uh, volatile fuel prices. We have rising fuel costs in general right now. Uh, Sri Lanka, another uh, area. I also worked in Sri Lanka. I've been there a number of times. Unbelievable environment. Great memories there. Uh, and this is they're they're in the middle of an economic emergency because of their fuel, right? So. Yeah. There's just a lot of money involved in this. There's tremendous consequences to it not going right the way it's happening now. And so when you have all that value there, maybe you can use these tools to kind of raise money effectively. I'm, I'm, I just want to, I want to understand this better. We got to get, maybe give this guy a call, see if we go on the show. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I would, I'd like to ask a couple of questions. It seems like they're way too conservative on their, on their estimates too, claiming that they're, they will be net zero greenhouse by 2065 which is 2065 net zero it's down that's down the end of the, but it was um the uh, prit uh committed at the the, the cop 26 held in glasgow 2021 that thailand will become carbon neutral by the middle of the century and net zero greenhouse by 2065 mm. but it seems oh, it seems a little late <laughs> it seems a little late oh so, yeah you're saying they're, they're they're not being ambitious <laughs> enough is what you're saying yes yeah, i agree with yeah. you yes yeah. 100% well, very cool though. It's good to it's good to see innovative ideas. I'd never heard of that before. That's a brand new one. That's brand new. Um, do we have time uh, before we go to Andre to hit one more PV? Or are we good to go? Uh, I want to I want to hear from Andre because I have some interesting things to talk about that too. <laughs> oh yes. So folks, we're going to uh, jump over to Andre Richter. This is a bit of a long one. We spent probably at least half an hour talking on this. We could have talked for longer. We've done probably four or five shows with Andre. He is a, a very insightful fella, formerly of Meyer Burger, currently of Blue Green Power. That's his own company. Andre Richter, CEO of Blue Green Power. Pretty cool, Andre. Uh, so let's go right over to Andre, listen and hear everything he has to say about the different types of PV out there and where it's all going. Welcome to the show, Andre. How are you today? Hello, uh, Josh. Very fine. Thank you. So, Andre, where are you calling in from? I'm coming from Germany, now sitting, sitting in Switzerland, just on the opposite side of the world. 
when you're recording this. We're always doing a 12-12, right? Like we're 12 yeah. hours opposite each other, my morning, your night, or vice versa. So we are we have the opportunity here to talk about something very special. Andre, um, I know that your, your background is deep into PV manufacturing, and I know that you're doing some really fun new things in the kind of farthest reaches of photovoltaics now in agrivoltaics, which I love. I love that area. You know, Maui's a rural environment, and we, we are taking land and putting it into the employ of renewable energies. And it would be great if we could do agricultural projects with that as well. So it's definitely important to us. But the thing that I wanted to ask you about, and we just talked about it a second ago, but it was this notion of, you know, what is, what are the core categories of PV solar? Okay. When we think about solar, of course, we have thermal, we have CSP, we have even hybrid PV thermal. We have all different types of solar out there, but photovoltaic, is really the, the the main solar that people are acquainted with. So can you help us, help everyone here at Solar Power International understand some of the core categories of photovoltaic? Yeah, I can try. Also photovoltaics is now more and more colorful in the last years. Yeah, uh, it gets more and more efficient. This is the reason. Uh, all the, you can imagine all the PV cells, the different cell technologies had been invented already 20 or 30 years ago. So uh, today in the mass production, there's new stuff, but it's coming out from the lab into the mass production and from the lower efficiencies to the higher and higher efficiencies. So we have two photovoltaic streams. One you can say as an evolutionary stream. So you, 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 you have a fab factory for PV cells, for example, and you upgrade and upgrade and upgrade to more and more higher efficiencies. And this is uh, today the technology is called PERC, Pearl, PERT. These are the, some words, some specific words for this uh, kind of technologies. And, and so you can always maintain your capacity of the factory and upgrade your factory to higher efficiencies. Got it. So perk, pearl, and pert. Did I hear that correctly? Correct. Okay. So then how um, those, those three, are, those are the three kind of core categories at the moment in photovoltaic? No, this is the evolutionary Oh, uh, this is one path you can say I see. and there's a second path and for the second path you need more or less a new factory style ah, okay. it, and this is a heterojunction okay and, okay and and you can say the first path is a high temperature more production and the second path is a low temperature production wow. process okay. only for the solar cells now mm, nothing to do with the solar module Mm, mm, mm. Okay. Okay. So we have an evolutionary path, high temperature, per, per, perk, pearl, and pert. Is that right? Yeah. Like this. Mm -hmm. Okay. And then low temperature, heterojunction, uh, kind of the newer technologies, different newer evolution. Yes, of course. Okay. Okay. Mm -hmm. Well, I, I suppose, do you, does it look like heterojunction will ultimately take over? in those those types or will they continue to run and uh, run together those two different evolutionary types yeah to not be unfair there a third path as well good very well established for many years it's a thin film technologies also photovoltaic thin film uh, like a uh, famous famous company like Fursula with right. the cadmium telluride uh, concept or the cigs concepts so yes. this is a, a own category you can 
say, uh, but the very interesting is, for example, for the heterojunction, mm -hmm. the heterojunction is a cell-based technology, but in combination with a thin film. So mm -hmm. you can say in some way heterojunction is a combination of the uh, known first path and the third path ah. together in one new. I see, I see. So in actuality, we have three core evolutionary yes. paths. Yeah. The first one, high temperature, the second one, heterojunction, and the third one, thin film. And then, of course, heterojunction you just mentioned is a combination of thin film and heterojunction. Okay, yeah. got it. So these are the three kind of core types, uh, evolutionary paths of photovoltaic uh, presently, right? And then what, what else can you tell us about the, the manufacturing process of those three types? Is one easier to make than the others? Uh, yeah, where does that sit? <laughs> every every pass is very sophisticated at the end because you are always operating at the cutting edge of each technology every every production path is a little bit different or very much different but you to you have to optimize the process as much as possible and this is complicated for every path so this this makes it more more and more that the manufacturers are changing the technologies because they like looking for seeking for higher efficiencies. Hmm? And now it's interesting to see it's not only the efficiency of the solar cell, of course, efficiency and the cost of the production. Hmm? You can imagine high temperature uh, concepts maybe need more temp uh, more cost because you have high yes. temperature uh, yes. and uh, temperature is energy and so on. So there's a there's um, carbon. There's a carbon uh, character of the manufacturing process in a sense because temperatures yeah. are related to energy. Energy is related to carbon investment. So, which so the the the, the initial uh, evolutionary path is is that the highest uh, energy input path? It's it's very complicated. Uh, this kind of study uh, called LCA life cycle assessment. Yes, cradle to cradle. You you see all the you you see the mining of the materials, the copper and everything. You see the production processes, the transporting processes, uh, the energy production of a cell of a solar system, and then you see how to yeah um, recycle the system or whatever. Oh, wow. So if yeah. you see everything, this is very very complicated. You yeah. can see you can say the efficiency is the main driver for bringing the CO two footprint down. Mm. Mm. And the efficiency is per square meter because you need per square meter or per area material. Doesn't matter what it is. Mm -hmm. And this is the energy consumption per area, you can say. And so if you get a higher efficient technology, cell technology, then you get a higher efficient module, PV module. You get more energy during the lifetime. And at the end, you get a lower CO2 footprint for the system. I see. So very complex and very comprehensive, this cradle to grave kind of concept, the entire life cycle. I see. Wow. Okay. Okay. So it would be difficult to get into all the different manufacturing processes, but when we think about that full carbon, let's say, character of a given technology, do, we had talked earlier about some new ideas on regional and local manufacturing. And I, is this an okay time to transition to that discussion? Because I, I would love to, would you like to speak more about PV or can we make the transition to the manufacturing? No, I think it's good, it's good, it's a good time, yeah. 
Okay, so let's think about this because the United States is in this position, as is the world, where there's this concept on we we need to really tremendously ramp up our solar deployment. Do what we know. I'm, from some of the smartest people I'm hearing across the country, it's there's a lot of new technologies emerging, but we have to do what we already know and we have to do it at a much greater volume. And it seems to me that this concept that you brought up to me over a year ago of local manufacturing could have some real potential. So can you give us a recap of the concept of this domestic local manufacturing strategy that you shared with me? Yes, uh, pe perhaps first one word for, for the penetration of PV in general. Mm. Uh, the cost is a very big driver. Lower cost is a very big driver to implement more and more PV or any other technology mm. in a in a mass uh, in, a, in the field. And to, today the cell production or to produce a solar cell is very sophisticated and you, you need a certain quantity. Yeah, you can do it in US, but perhaps only in three or four gigafactories like Tesla or others, you have to concentrate this very sophisticated production to, to hotspots. Mm. Uh, but the cells are very pretty small and you can transport to every part in a country or worldwide the cells. And you have not to tr transport the modules, already made modules. And if you, for example, if you transport the cells to Hawaii, you are able in Hawaii to produce some few hundred megawatts per year in a small factory hmm. modules according to the Hawaiian market. Why not? And when we talk about the Hawaiian market, are there regionally, are there types of panels that would perform better in specific regions? Yes, of course. Like what kinds? For example, any example anywhere? I'm just curious. Oh, okay, okay. We, we are later, we are coming back to the point, but only one example now. Um, in It depends on the application where you put the modules. If you have very big tracking fields on a... I would say a more dark soil, then you use monofacial modules yeah. uh, in, um, in, in, a, in a specific way. But if you are in Hawaii with the smaller systems, you not like to cover uh, big, big areas with only PV systems, you may come up for bifacial systems. Yeah. And if you come up then to the strategy of the dual use, so you use your area not only for PV, you use your area for growing crops, whatever, and in parallel, you generate electric energy. Then uh, you will produce, for example, bifacial modules, and perhaps you like to produce light modules, also a different kind of modules. If you produce modules for a very big field, for example, a PV system is 300 megawatt, one system, yeah, there are several systems in US and California existing today already. Mm. Yeah, huge systems. Then you produce a big module, not to install too many modules because every module installation takes time right. to do it. The labor the is, component. Yeah, the if the module is very big, then you need uh, less um, amount of modules to um, yeah install. So you save time and you save cost. Amazing. So, so it's the character of the of the regional environment and the electric needs and the needs of the land and the specific formula and combination that determine the type of module you need. So the so what I'm hearing is perhaps the assembly is best done in a local region to to maximize that specific type of module. Yeah, yeah, and to you know your climate. 
And I think a big producer uh, far away has no interest to produce different kind of models yeah. because a very complicated logistic process. But if you're in Hawaii, you have only one climate, or you know, in Hawaii you have eleven climates, I think. Eh? But <laughs> we have, actually, we have every climate. You know? Yeah, every. Yeah. But <laughs> bad example now. But no, you have a specific climate there. You know it, and for this market, should be the size should be several hundred megawatts a year, of course. Mm then it makes sense to have a local production there. Remarkable. And then, um, okay, so then we start to think in terms of major, uh, I guess, where the crucibles are, where the actual uh, ingots are being pulled out of the, uh, the crucibles, those types of things are these big hubs around the country or around the world. And then we think in terms of smaller, more specific, module-specific manufacturing uh, locations in regional spots around the, the world, you know? Uh, so that's yes. a very exciting prospect. Now, there's a, a couple of consequences that jump right out to me. We just talked about having the specific, the most appropriate module for a given region. That's one value. Now, I, uh, we also, you can see that we're shipping only cells in this circumstance or uh, certainly not entire modules in their entirety. So there's a shipping savings. And that's part of the carbon debt of a given cradle to cradle analysis, yes? Yes and no, because by shipping, you have to see, you have to ship the glass to produce the modules if you have no glass factory. Uh, also one normal glass oven with 400 tons is good for around about one 1,000 million megawatt per year PV modules production. Okay. So it's all already a very big uh, module factory mm. uh, with only one glass oven. I see. So the glass, uh, the glass manufacturing may not be able to happen regionally. It may have to happen in central locations and you still have to ship it. Yes, correct. And the encapsulation as well. Yeah. And the junction boxes as well. So, yeah. and then at the end, you're ending up to, uh, like you build an electronic device, mm -hmm. you're buying the, the integrated circuits and everything around the world and ship to one place, and then you build up the module. Now, here's a question. So let's say there's, maybe there's a minor shipping advantage. Maybe there is not much of a shipping advantage given what you just said. So what are, is there a job, uh, long-term job prospect opportunity? How does that, uh, are these factories primarily robotic or can we choose to have them partially robotic and partially having, uh, you know, a, a back to a manufacturing job base? Is that possible? Yes, also throughout the supply chain for PV, you have, um, you, you get, you, you are involving more and more employees during this chain. So from the very beginning, you have uh, few people to do. And for the silicon, for example, yes, this is full automatic with the tree close Elan and so on. Uh, and, and then if you go to come to the solar cells, you have already more people, more specialists to do it. And if you go to a PV module production, uh, you need round about 300 persons in the factory for producing 1000 megawatt a year, round about. Mm -hmm. Mm. Uh, only for the factory. And of course, then you need many more people for installing the systems, installing the modules to PV systems. Right. So now you have a, you can see where the, the different types of jobs exist at what volume per a certain volume of produced solar 
uh, from manufacture to assembly to deployment and installation. So have you looked at these types of numbers and tried yes. to think about the full scale, uh, let's say a full domestic production capacity for the United States as an example? Um, yes, we have looked into these numbers. And of course, if you go to bigger and bigger factories, like in all other technologies, you get more and more efficient because you can save more and more jobs at mm -hmm. the end. Yeah. So uh, today in some parts of the world, they're thinking about of 20,000 megawatt production per year, PV modules, 20,000 megawatt per year. It's huge. Yeah. And they're e uh, even thinking about 60,000 megawatt. So these are huge factories, very high automated. And of course, then you can reduce, but the reduction of, of jobs has an advantage for perhaps for this factory but if you see everything else for example the local adaption is not there and with the local adaption you have more power you should have more power or more longevity or other advantages if you have a module made locally or for a speci specific application you can use uh, local then it's complete uh, different approach. You not have to only to see the people in the factory. You have to see the all the landscape. Right, right. So when we think about jobs, it's not just simply manufacturing jobs. Mm -hmm. It's the full uh, scope of the different jobs involved. And yeah, like for example, if we come back to the example of agrivoltaics, the fellas that are or the people that are going to be installing this there's probably a certain character of that kind. And you obviously there's now you you're, you're moving into the, you're, you're taking land and you're, you're increasing agricultural jobs as well. Right. And that's particular circumstance, actually moving outside of just the PV world. So very uh, exciting stuff. When you first mentioned this to me, we were talking in terms of a specific technology and I didn't realize that it was actually much bigger than that one technology. Uh, it's actually about, uh, finding the right module for the right region and then optimizing jobs and reducing carbon and optimizing power production. That's uh, very exciting. Yes, it's a very big topic and not even really started. Also, agrovoltaic is starting since two or three years now, a little bit. And and yeah, today it's they use uh, modules they get and they build up very heavy systems above the farmlands and uh, to, to collect the energy, harvest the sun energy. And of course the light is uh, going through as well and they can grow crops, they can harvest the crops after. Uh, both is working and even the, um, the rate of harvesting the crops, it's increasing. Oh, wow. Yeah, by shadowing. <laughs> yeah, some, some parts of countries are too hot. Mm. Uh, and, and because they're too hot, the evaporation is too high. But if you shade a little bit, you have less evaporation and some some kind of crops are growing faster and better. That's that's remarkable. So you have dual use and then you're optimizing both effectively or yes. certainly optimizing the agricultural production, which is what you just said. I understand there's some issues, uh, some some benefits related to retention of, uh, of of water as well in the land. Is that true? Yes, there are two, two parts. One part is if you... Again, I'm looking now for smaller solar systems Yeah, to use, also perhaps one step back. When we are looking about how much PV we should install in the next years, mm. it's about one, one million megawatt per year over the world or several million megawatts a year over the world. It's huge. 
So, and if you if you see now, one hundred, uh, one hundred. Wait, is that is that several million megawatts? That's that's worldwide every year. But I'm trying to produce, and, put that into gigawatts. That's <laughs> so that's several thousand gigawatts effectively. Yeah, several thousand gigawatts or several terawatts. W several terawatts, which is which yes. is effectively about ten times plus to get to a terawatt what we're producing what we're installing right now we're installing about yes. 100 gigawatts globally and yeah one yeah, yeah it's, it's, no, four, it's 180 150 like this okay so really uh, a 10x multiplier of where we're at now in order to are we talking about climate change is that what we're talking about to address climate change yeah to address climate change and to support our life in future yes as the climate change change will take on will go on yeah. There we have no the CO2 is now in the air and for the next 50 to 100 years, even when we stop every CO2 emission today, uh, it will go on. Yes. This is the truth, yeah. But but what we can do is now to switch more and more to avoid more and more CO2 and to adapt our life. We have a life standard and we not like to go to the stone age back perhaps. So we, we, we have the technology today to, to get the energy we need. And we even combine it in a useful way to get the food we need. So we have not food or energy. We have energy and food. Mm. Did so, you, and and did we have you, no conflict there. I see. Did you choose agrivoltaics because you feel that it is a very special uh, evolutionary step in solar and energy and food. Do you feel this is a very pivotal piece of the puzzle? Um, yes and no. Uh, um, it's it's needed. We have to need it. We have not enough area to do to to plant everywhere PV systems and then where we should should uh, get our food from from which space. So this we have to solve in the future. Mm. And the second part is the technology was not ready ten years ago mm. for this. Now, uh, one keyword is bifacial modules. Bifacial modules are like normal solar modules, but they are sensitive for solar light on both sides. So it doesn't matter, simple spoken, where you how you turn the module. The module will always collect the light uh, around the module. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And this is a new technology. Since five years, you can you can buy more and more of them than you started 20 years ago. Uh, but now we have more and more bifacial modules available. And the cost of a solar system is get lower and lower. Mm. So now only the module is only 30, one third of the cost of the PV system. Hmm? Yes. And this is changing dramatically the situation because now you can play with the module. Play with the module. What do you mean by play with the module? You can, you can use other technologies. You can use other configurations. Mm. And you have now to look the put the focus not anymore on the module. The module is there. You buy a bifacial or monofacial module. What uh -huh. is the best? Uh -huh. You have a local manufact module, of course. Mm. But the other costs are so high. Uh, besides the modules, so you can you should optimize the cost. Or if the costs are there, you should use already done installation to do the dual use. Mm. So you can use a dual use even with the mounting systems. What do you mean by that? Yeah, yeah. For one example, for example, we are doing here in Switzerland many flat roofs. Mm. As you have a house with a flat roof, and 
on this flat roof, you can make it green, for example. So you have a green flat roof. This is very good because- it's Green it's color or green actual uh, food, food production or foliage or- You can do food production, but you can make it just green, grass or something yeah. like this. Okay. And, and then you have the evaporation effect. Mm. So you reduce over uh, the temperature around the roof uh, by several tenths of degrees or even some degrees Celsius. So it's a, it's a lot. You feel it. You can feel it. And it's good for cities. And at the same time, you can put their modules on, PV modules. Mm. Mm. But, but if you put the PV modules like uh, south-facing modules only, then the, uh, you know the, the, the grass or whatever you have on the roof will grow and grow and grow and will grow over the modules. And then it's not good for the module and not good for the grass. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. With a vertical system, you have just the modules vertical standing in rows and the roof area, you have full access to the roof area. Mm. So this enables you to, to take attention to optimize this growth of the plants. Even you can do uh, growing food or whatever on the, on the screen roof. And you have at the same time photovoltaic energy. So let me understand this vertical um, positioning of the bifacial a panel on a roof with a green green roof. It, it, are we talking about many um, vertical rows? Are we talking about perimeter vertical rows? Where is the positioning in your in this example? It's very flexible indeed, but uh, a usual configuration is you have a lot of rows with a two meter, also a six feet, seven feet distance mm. to each other. Wow. And the reason for that is, is because you want to get more sunlight in or help me understand what is the optimal reason for vertical? When I think vertical, I think in terms of duck curve, like capturing early energy and late energy, right? And yes. moderating duck curve. What, what are you talking about in the case of vertical? Is it that? Yeah, there are, there are many, many points. Yeah. Many, many plus points, I would say. You are you, you have this because you catch the early sun and the late sun. So you have a different uh, profile generation profile than the normal PV system orientated to south. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Because you have not the peak at the noontime, you have two, two peaks, one in the morning, one in the evening for yeah. the electrical production. I love it. Yeah. Yeah. But in addition, you have the advantage that you can use the roof area for different things. So the roof area is not blocked. It's complete free. There's no module uh, built on this area. Mm. And because you have a roof and the roof you have to construct sometime. Yeah. So you have already, you can reduce the cost if you, it's a, by creating the roof. And if you put then the PV system on, you can, you, you can reduce the mounting costs of the PV system by far. So if you are smart, you construct a roof, a green roof with a PV system at the same time. And this system costs less than if you're constructing a green roof and a PV system. Wow. So now oh, this is a perfect example of why we're of the moment in time that we're at, where we can start to look beyond the 
beyond just the module and into the, the situational variables of the module and how to get, get all of these additional values out of it. A new roof space, uh, a, a cheaper install cost, a maybe it's food production or maybe it's recreational uh, environment production. Man, we have energy curve value propositions, a duck curve, as we just said. We also have the prospect of uh, just being able to have this special place to be and, and, and to lower the thermal characteristic of a building envelope so there's yep. so many inherent values being kind of brought to bear and is that i guess that's why you chose agrivoltaics and this area <laughs> yes, those are not all reasons but there are some of the reasons yeah but there are some more plus points <laughs> i want to hear what those are too actually <laughs> but <laughs> <laughs> also for i give you only one example a few years yeah. ago we created in switzerland in a valley uh, we created this such kind of a vertical uh, system because we moved the module out of the wind direction. Mm. Mm. Oh. So you have less wind loads if mm. you know the main wind direction in a, in a specific location. Yeah. And the wind is very strong, maybe you can move it out of the wind direction and you have not to worry about the wind loads anymore. Wow. Wow. That's yeah. a great example. Yeah. And Maui is very similar. We have trades and generally it's blowing in one direction. So you're mm -hmm. bleeding that wind and you're reducing the wind load. Yes. yes. Oof, man. So many mm -hmm. fun things. Very it's good. A small, right? It's a small advantage, but it makes a big impact on the system at the end right. and a big impact of the cost. Right, right, right. Very good. Okay. So we've covered a lot of ground here, Andre. So what is the name of your company? It's bluegreenpower.de. So it's a, you see in the name, it's a blue for water, for, uh, yeah, for clean energy. The green for green energy and green roof. And power is, of course, not only the power for electricity, it's the power of, of doing something, of, of changing the world. And yeah, and I started now in Germany. It's now uh, uh, starting up, but I, I have a big network. And so we have already since five years, we have good experience with green roof, uh, flat green roof solar systems already. So wow. you can do uh, many things wrong if you start with, but you can, I have very bad examples for you. <laughs> I'm not showing you now. <laughs> I want to see those too. I want to see those too. And it's really important that I get a hold of that B-roll because I want to be able to see what you're talking about and overlay this conversation. If you have some good pictures or good videos. I have pictures. That would be yes, very yes, helpful. Yes. Uh, and then what, the name of your company again, what is your website? Uh, it's it's Blue Green Power .de. It's coming in a few days. Also, I think in August will be online. It's not yet online. It's, it's just all created. It's so much to do in parallel. Uh, you know, I'm not, not um, only uh, active in this uh, solar creation of the new things. Um, I've also amended now for PV module recycling. Ah, uh, yes. This is the yeah. area. Yeah, we'll set another call on recycling because I'm doing some. Yes, we can doing, do. Yeah, yeah. Doing some uh, mm -hmm. some interviews mm -hmm. about recycling right now. This is an important part of the puzzle. Okay, Andre Richter of Blue Green Power in Switzerland. Did I say that right? Dot de dot de. No, in Germany. The company is in Germany. Companies in Germany. We operate worldwide, of course. Blue Green Power. Yeah. In Germany. Uh, yeah, as usual, Andre, you've blown my mind and you've given me a great perspective on how uh, 
photovoltaic is evolving and where the uh, innovation points are and the tremendous amount of value that can be discovered in exploring and building in that respect. So thank you very much, Andre. And I look forward to having our conversation soon on recycling. <laughs> Welcome. All right. Thanks again, Andre. You always bring in the, bring the heat, man. You bring the best content. I'll tell you that guy knows PV like no one else. I was sitting at, down having lunch with him when he was in Maui, maybe six months ago and in walked Emily Sullivan, my, uh, or she's now Emily Erickson, my uh, former VP of ops, you know, for the install business. And I look at her and I go, Hey, this is uh, Andre. And I go, he is the smartest guy I know in PV. And she looked at him and she's like, Josh knows a lot of guys in PV, so you must be really, really smart. And I'm like, he is. I can say that without even hesitating. You got to understand, um, or please explain who Meyerberger was even before. Yeah. Like, how did Andre get his education in PV? Yeah, I think he was with Meyerberger for over a decade or more. He was a senior staff member there. This is an, a company that was the primary um, kind of tooling manufacturer for PV uh, lines. So anybody who wanted to go into the PV manufacturing business would effectively go to Meyer Burger. They would provide the tools. And they were a leader in that space. At one point, they were, and Jay's heard me say this before, but they were under acquisition target from Tesla. That's how good they were. They were there. And then they've had some shifts around recently. And that's when Andre took his exit to start his own company. But uh, really a, uh, a very powerful uh, kind of foundation level company in the whole renewable energy revolution because they make the tools that make solar panels. That's the bottom yeah. line. Yeah. And making, making the stuff that makes that other people use to make solar. <laughs> yeah. It's pretty impressive. Um, so he, one thing he mentioned in that, that the turn the very end is that he had a lot, he had a bunch of examples of things not to do. And I think we need to dive into that. That's, that's a show that I really want to have a conversation about. And it's, it's not, not, to do. not to see, not, not to make fun or anything, but this is the type of information that should be made available so that we can avoid repeating the same mistakes. Help me remember. I don't remember that piece. It was the very end. And he talked about things not to do for what? For deployments, for manufacturing? For deployment, for deployments. It was specific right. to, to, to installs and deployments, the, the things that you really, we, we did this and it was a, Oh, some of his testing <laughs> it was, facilities. It was, a, it was a quick comment, but it's like, uh, oh, that sounds like something I really want to, I really want to know about. Well, okay, gotcha. So, what? Would, I mean, he's always down for a show. So, yeah. let's do this. Um, tell me what uh, what was the area that kind of got you stoked about that? Did you like the domestic discussion about manufacturing in the U.S.? Did you like the the, so, uh, the different yeah, tracks of PV that currently exist? Were you into the um, his agrivoltaics concept, which is the, probably the easiest one for us to talk about because that's all new and, and super jazzy stuff? But well, we've been talking about agrovoltaics for a long time, right? And when we, that first study came back, came down, and I was all hyped about it because of the significant amount of groundwater retention. It's, it's something that people don't generally think about, but but shading an area really allows the the vegetation to to flourish. Um, and if you can keep your your panels high enough or for whatever reason um you know what he was talking about was vertical rows right that, that's absolutely a stellar idea i want to see more of those installs the only one i'm familiar with was that that um the sheep farm way out in uh northern europe i don't remember exactly where that where that was but it was such a it was such a such a unique looking thing um and and again we are our, our brains always go like you said our brains always go to the curve the energy curve so having a vertical panel you get a blast in the morning and then it would kind of 
peter out midday, whereas your your regular traditionally installed panels would pick up the pick up the load, and then you toward the end of the day you get another blast, assuming it's a bifacial panel. Um, really, really neat kind of concept. Um, but he was saying that just beca because of the um, the shadowing there, they're still seeing significant groundwater retention. I want to see more like hard data on that. Yeah. Um, there are certain shows and certain people and certain technologies that kind of spark my interest and enthusiasm a lot, right? And I, you know, there, of course, we're excited about a lot of these things, and a lot of them are very cool and just interesting. But in the case of dual use of PV, that area really, in particular, kind of got me um, excited because, you know, we were talking about he's approaching it not from the perspective of how do I make the 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 best performing PV for the cheapest price. He's not, he's going far beyond that. He's now saying, we're going to look at an issue that exists out there because of climate change, the bigger issue we're trying to deal with. And we're going to try to find something that's going to help a certain industry adapt to climate mm -hmm. change. And at the same time, produce electricity uh, for revenue purposes or for whatever other purposes you need. Right. So it's kind of like, it's going a really into the future in a sense and he, he he looks at at farming and agriculture which obviously is a huge industry and a tremendous amount of problems are going to arise because they're directly tied to the climate right the, the output the, the 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 products that are developed in the farming industry are based on the sun and based on yeah. the temperature and based on the water. So he goes, okay, we're going to take PV and we're going to go after that market. We're going to figure out how to create solutions. And one of them, and, and the technology, just to, to recap on that tech, really interesting. I mean, wow, what a cool thing. I actually sent him, he came here and I sent him some farms, in, by the way, in, uh, in Maui. Mm -hmm. And he tried to get in touch with Bear, right? Which I said, by the way, that might not be the best, uh, you know, uh, public relations approach, <laughs> Bear. And then, uh, then he talked to a couple of my friends that have farms uh, up and yep. down throughout Hawaii, and they discussed the the approach to this. But it's he's hanging um, PV panels. So in the so the the idea of a vertical uh, PV panel is was the energy curve thing and now he's doing vertical pv panels but he's not doing them glass in case he's doing them plastic in case so they're lighter they're easier to work with the labor costs are all shipping costs everything is lower and then he's running them th over through uh, along a cable uh, uh in a row over um basically farmlands right and then he's doing it in the manner that the farm machinery can still work right and it's creating this water retention issue and a couple of other benefits but then you also have this now revenue for the farmers and then he then he of course he had to make some adjustments and some uh kind of concessions working with plastic in its current kind of capability uh doesn't last as long as working with glass. Glass lasts longer than plastic, right? So there's sure. supposed to a 30-year lifespan. Now you're looking at maybe more like a 20-year lifespan. And it's a solar you know, panel. It's got things, a little man. bit of UV exposure, you know? <laughs> yeah. But all those things are just fascinating to me. I was like, gosh, yep. this is just radical, these ideas, right? And then also, then because it's plastic, where can you manufacture? Maybe you can start manufacturing them around those areas and get them in with smart wires and all this other stuff. Oh, I just, I love talking to that guy. Yeah. <laughs> I love talking to that guy. But I mean, farming, farming is hard work. And some of the people, people have this image in their head of like farmers that are like dumb hicks out and farm doing nothing. And the, nothing could be further from the truth. These are the most savvy yeah. like really smart people they know how to make things work they know how to repair their stuff yeah. because they're not 
waiting <laughs> for 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 months for for hard for hardware to come in um we got to get this this field plowed done harvested whatever it is um and so they know they know their stuff they know their business and when you go in and say well i can i can increase your yield and give you another source of revenue they're gonna they're gonna pick right. you apart Right. And imagine the PPAs in that world too, right? So power purchase agreements, imagine once you start getting into that world and then you say, hey, we're going to come out here, we're going to roll this out cost-free, you're going to uh, have a benefit in your production, your yields are going to be better, and you're going to have revenue, which you can maybe sell to the utility or whoever. But that's that's the data. I really need to to see some hard data on this. And I'd love to see what what came out of his first few installs to, to really support that. It's just sales... So that's what he's working on right now. So we'll keep tabs on that. Give him a shout, see what he's developed. But he's, he was looking out here in Maui and then four other kind of geographically diverse areas around the world to conduct those installs and do that test. And he's a pro at that. That's what he's done over the years for Meyer Burger. So, you know, that that data comes out, it's going to be very uh, credible. And it, that maybe there's a big industry here. Let's see. Who knows? Who knows? Meyer Berger, the uh, entre- my Meyer Berger. Andre Richter, the entrepreneur. I love it. I love it. <laughs> <laughs> right. All right. Um, you want to talk a little bit about EVs before we go? Let's touch base on EVs. I I basically dumped like ten different EV articles on you. Which one uh, caught your interest? Well, there's only there's only a few things. The ones that caught my eye, obviously, um, why your your car's calendar age will matter much oh, more than its one, model man. year. Um, this is this is really an interesting report. Uh, we've had enough EVs on the road now that this kind of information can start percolating, being being put together. And they have a bunch of really obvious. This is InsideEVs.com. Uh, why why electric cars calendar age matters more than model year. But the graphs you scroll a little bit down, and it's very very clear um, how the, um, the the batteries are kind of aging versus a traditional. Um, gasoline powered engine and then how having a battery change basically resets your odometer if that makes yeah. any sense to people <laughs> it's yeah. such a such a neat conversation to have I, I will say that i mean it's it's still your your car that is five years old with a battery versus a two one-year-old um lease vehicle coming off um our, our, the, the one-year-old car is still going to be infinitely better but if you're talking about vehicles within the same year you've got a, a vehicle target and and kind of a price point uh it may behoove you to figure out what month that car was actually manufactured because it matters a lot absolutely absolutely um so i just got a text message from juju about pickups <laughs> So let me say this. I love this article. Absolutely loved it. And it, it, if in part, I was following the Chevy Bolt and the yep. recalls, and I and yep. I saw some people uh, listing their bolts on Craigslist. And of course, you know, there's anytime there's a huge aversion to something that it can't be sold and it gets the prices come down. I'm like, maybe I'll scoop up a bolt for a steal. Right. And because I know the batteries were all replaced during the recall. So as long as that battery had been replaced, then basically you got a new bolt and that new bolt is current generation cells too. Right. And so you've got better. And so, so in terms of that particular thing, that kind of uh, spurred on my interest of this this discussion. And then we're so used to, I don't know about you, but I look at Craigslist ads and I look at Facebook marketplace and I like to see what, you know, deals are out there, you know, I kind of like a bit of a trader mentality, right? So mm-hmm. it, it, when I was looking at the Teslas and looking at the bolts and looking at all the different, you know, early EVs that were out there, the Leafs, 
I said to myself, oh, I wonder if there's a different way to go about buying these. And I didn't really know. I didn't have the tools my, in my head, in Josh's head anyway, to be able to say, oh, this is how you do it. But this calendar age thing is kind of what they're, they honed in on. They honed in yeah. on this calendar age, as opposed to um, your mileage, right? And yeah. there's less moving parts in those things. Mileage, I, I assume, and I wanted to ask you this, but I assume that mileage is a proxy for you know the quality of and the longevity of a vehicle in the case of an internal combustion engine, because things wear, right? Yeah. You have all these moving gears and parts and things, and they just don't, the, the mileage tells you basically how much longer of long of a life you're going to get out of something. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. But, I mean, it's, it's exactly that. So, and, and it's an early conversation we had about EVs, the less moving parts, um, mm -hmm. the, the less your maintenance costs overall, um, assuming that the engineering is done well, the longer they will, they will, they will serve the, the last. Um, the battery has, I mean, it's, it's the most expensive part of the vehicle. <laughs> Um, so, so having that, having to replace that is a significant expense, but if you get one that has already had its battery replaced for whatever reason, um, that's, that's an attractive buy. Yeah. Yeah. And, and you know, it, it, it's far reaching too, because then if, if cars last longer then you have, you're producing less cars or for a given situation, yeah, less carbon in the, you know, all that stuff kind of play comes into play. That's, that's a must conversation. Why yeah. Sell yeah. One car to serve five families and have it all. There you go. Why, and I just saw one yeah, the other day yeah. and put it in here. Cause I gave you so many articles, but why hasn't the subscription lease of cars, you know, actually taken off yet where you can just get a, you know, you go to one car manufacturer and you go, hey, like their own car. I never, I never subscribed <laughs> to that because I mean, I, I know there's a lot of people that, that, I mean, live in cities, they ride in taxis, they do Uber, whatever, whatever it happens to be. Um, but for those that are further out from like suburbia and, and beyond, um, like you drive 35 minutes to Costco, load up on your stuff, and then you go home. Um, you, you don't want either the car to be not available or, um, I mean, you just, you like having your own vehicle. And, and mm. I think that's, that's going to be a hard, hard sell for a lot of people for a long, long time. Now it doesn't mean they are, the, the vehicle can't be electric, but I don't know if the whole, we're talking know, about the super, super subscriptions, yeah, the yeah. subscription yeah. services stuff. We'll see how it pans uh, out. We'll see how it pans out. I, um, all right. Did you, uh, want to try to touch base on policy? Or I, I, only say, I only want to say one other thing. Yeah. And it's cause this was really cool. The Tesla Roddy article that DeLorean has teased <laughs> its first electric vehicle. You telling me this sucker's nuclear? <laughs> oh no, no, this sucker's electrical. Um, <laughs> As a, uh, what do you call it? Back to the future quote, right? Yeah. So, okay. Um, very good. Honest, honestly, it's such a weird, it's, this is a weird article because it's, it's saying that they're going to be releasing some information. So they're teasing In information for a teaser year. that's yeah. not coming until August. <laughs> yeah. We're teasing the teaser. <laughs> Yeah, but that's I mean, DeLorean is such a hot topic in cars because in many respects, there's parallels to what Musk did with DeLorean. Right. Yeah. So you had, yeah. you know, that and then there's a big story and there's there's like multiple documentaries now on DeLorean and all that jazz. I won't get into all that stuff. But the bottom line is that and even the one thing that is kind of the direct comparable, of course, Jay, is the Cybertruck. Right. The Cybertruck uses the same type of manufacturing that they tried to do with DeLorean with the with aluminum. Right. Yep. And that's aluminum lasts a 
a lot longer than other technologies for cars, for bodies, steel, I guess, right, primarily. Yep. And so that was an approach that kind of must borrowed from DeLorean, right? And then the aesthetics are obviously, you know, the same. A little little inspired. In fact, there's a a video effects company. If you look around on YouTube, you'll find it really fast with the, um, they, they edited in the cyber truck complete with little accoutrement around the, the wheel wells and everything else to make it look like the delorean and they they oh you mean in back to the future they come, yeah the back to oh, the yeah. future that whole first scene in front of the mall of they, they composted the cyber truck in and it looks i mean it just fits it's so funny. <laughs> very good very good all right jason very correct well thank you very much for your your diligent uh, news and events presentation as usual. We had a bunch of other stuff on here we're not going to get to today. We'll carry it on our next show. This has been episode 177 of The Solar Coaster. And it was a pleasure to talk to Andre Richter, formerly of Meyer Burger, currently of Blue Green Power, and learning Got about me. agrivoltaics and all cool stuff in the future. What say you at the end of the show, Jay? Oh, um, get out there, buy a uh, Chevy Bolt. <laughs> Find, find yourself an electric vehicle if you can um they're 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 gonna pay for themselves in short order <laughs> um, yeah here it goes I'm, all right I'm, folks i'm i'm in the market right now myself i think oh no kidding so so it's it's getting very very real very very in quickly. japan or in the u.s hmm? uh in japan whoa check it out very good all right Starting folks have a great weekend ahead. showing up it's a thing <laughs> jay you want to keep talking <laughs> go for it <laughs> no, we're good <laughs> see you all later guys thank you very much too, have man. a good one